Just a sinner saved by grace. Man, that's a good one. Amen. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, <clears throat> as we come to a conclusion on our kind of mini-series entitled, How to Measure Your Christianity, we're finishing up today, should I say tonight, sometime late tonight, <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, nah, we won't be bad, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And we'll start there, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them, 
that they had been with Jesus. We'd already noted that these men had no real background or training other than spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ. They hadn't attended any rabbinical schools to our knowledge. As a matter of fact, probably about the closest thing they got to uh, a school would have been uh, learning how to use fish hooks and fishing nets. And uh, we find that here they are now uh, making a tremendous impression on these pious religious leaders. They had no real credentials. They had no real physical attributes that would have made them take note of these men. And yet... The Bible says they did take knowledge of them. And why was that? Well, in verse 13, it tells us they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So recorded in Scripture is the secret to real success in the believer's life. You say, I want to be a good Christian. Well, here's the secret. I want to be a Christian with great power. Well, here's the secret. I want to be victorious in my Christian walk in life. Well, here's the secret. Spend time with Jesus. It really is that simple. Now, there's much to say about having the ability to cast out demons and to do miracles. But nothing rivals that of spending time with Jesus. There's no way that we can come away with any more than we can come away with once we spend some time in his presence. Again, these religious officials, they had observed Peter and John, and they were convinced of something. They were convinced of one thing very, very important. They had been with Jesus. So what made these officials take note of Peter and John and conclude that they had been with Jesus? And I had told you from the onset that I wanted to note three visible signs that made these particular officials take note of Peter and John, and that also would provide us with a way to measure our faith or our Christianity. So we shared the first one. We said they shared the truth or the gospel with great boldness. That's one of the reasons why they said, oh boy, they'd been with Jesus. They shared Christ with great boldness. Number two, we said they surprising. They surprised the onlookers with a supernatural work. Here's this man that hadn't walked, and yet now, being over 40, he's walking. He's leaping. He's excited. A supernatural work. And tonight, we want to consider another visible sign that provides us with a way to measure our faith in Christianity and that got the attention of these Religious men. They stood in the face of their critics, no matter the cost. They stood in the face of their critics, no matter the cost. Now, we're going to take some time, and we're going to dissect the chapter, chapter 4. We're going to go through verses 1 through 22 tonight. We're just going to go through that and try to see what we can learn concerning this issue of facing their critics. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll move along tonight. Father, we thank you for this time together. We are grateful for all you do for us. Now bless us tonight. Father, may you take your word and truly impress upon our hearts the truths that we need to better our faith, to increase our faith. Lord, we want to be believers, Lord, that truly can 
impress you in the long run. It's one thing, Lord, to impress others. It's not even that challenging at times to do so, but it's not easy to impress you seeing that you see us from the inside out. Father, may you speak to our hearts through your word today as we dig into it. May, Father, we learn something about ourselves as we learn more about Peter and John. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 4 again, beginning in verse 1. We're going to note some things. First of all, in this particular chapter, we note the critics. And remember, the idea or the thought is they stood in the face of their critics no matter the cost. Right off the bat, we're introduced to the critics. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and and certain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, these were leaders in their community. These were those who probably stood as a whole in high esteem. They were respected as a whole. And now here they are coming to this uh, uh, place where Peter and John now have been speaking and sharing the, the truth, and they're like, what in the world's going on here? And they arrive, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. Not only do we see the critics, but in verse 2, we see their concern. It says, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, it is important to understand that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So as we see in verse 1, the critics making their way to this crowd, we recognize the Sadducees among them. It's no wonder that now they are somewhat offended, that now they are grieved by the fact that they are preaching the resurrection in which they do not believe in. And so we see their concern. We're grieved that you're teaching the people, that you're preaching through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. What the problem was is that they did not appreciate their message. They were concerned that their message may ultimately affect, and infect others. So they had to get them off of Facebook. They had to get them off of Twitter. And they had to silence them. And that's what they're going to do to the church before it's over with. thought I'd throw that in. We need to be ready for those things. And that's why our door-to-door soul winning will still be the only way we reach the world. So let's not toss it out the window because we have all this new technology. Because if they can shut a president up and anybody else's voice up, they'll definitely be able to shut the church's voice down. So we need to be very uh, careful because the critics are very concerned with the message that you and I carry to the world today. A resurrected Christ. And that's a concern. We see the confinement now. This reads like, The early part of, I'm not even going to go there. Let's go ahead. The confinement, verse 3. And they laid hands on them, not like to ordain them. (laughs) Not like the laying on of hands of chapter 13 of Acts. This is the laying on of hands where they literally grab hold of them. And the Bible says they put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. So they put them into hold. They said, you know, it's too late to do anything with them now. So let's go ahead and hold them till tomorrow. 
We see them confining Peter and John. Why? Because they are concerned about their message and they're bothered by it and they don't want them infecting the crowd or the rest of the people. So let's take them into custody and silence them at least for the time being till we can figure out what to do with these guys. So they can find them. But I want you to note the courage that we see now. Look, verses 7 through 12. First of all, note the intimidation. In chapter 7, right off the bat, or verse 7, excuse me, the Bible says, and when they had set them in the midst, they set them in the midst. Now again, this is an intimidation tactic. We're going to surround them with authorities. We're going to surround them with people who have great power. We're going to surround them and we're going to try to make them look or feel small in the midst. I can almost envision, and I don't know how it went down. I don't know if this council was like in a circle and there were people seated around them. I get the impression they're standing around them and there they are seated in the middle and you can almost see that light coming out of the ceiling right on them and that, you know, you know that you're getting drilled by the police, you know, and they used to do in the years, you know, you ever see the old movies and they put a light right in their face? I, but they're trying to, they're, they're intimidating these men. The intimidation. But look at the interrogation. Chapter 7, uh, verse 7 again. It goes on to say, and when they set them in, and then when they set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? <clears throat> They're interrogating them now. By what name and by what power did you do this miracle? Now, we're going to find that later on in the chapter, they can't deny that the miracle took place. I mean, this man was over 40 years of age. They admit that they cannot deny the miracle. But by what name and, and by what power did you do this thing? Come on, talk. Vavez of making a talk. They're interrogating them now. Notice the information. Did you love that? The intimidation, the interrogation, the information. Pretty good, right, Brother Rigo? Amen. <clears throat> Under that, we see the source of the information, verse 8. Notice it goes on, verse 8, to say, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. He's going to start talking. He's going to share some things. He's going to inform them of some stuff. We're going to see some, some, some information flowing, but where's the source of that? It is the Holy Ghost. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Boy, if there is an area that you and I need to work on, it's responding in the Spirit. I mean, let's face it, it's easy to respond in the flesh. You know, I mean, whether it's someone cutting you off or whether it's a husband or wife saying something you don't want to hear or whether it's a teenager that doesn't seem to yield the way they should or it's possibly an authority at work or somebody in the church, you don't want to hear that. And boy, I tell you what, it's easy to respond in the flesh. But Peter, the Bible tells us, even though he's under scrutiny, even though at this point they have intimidated and interrogated, he now 
responds, being filled with the Holy Ghost. We see the source of the information. We note the course of the information. Notice he says, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, verse 9, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all. Hold on. I'm going to stop there because here's what's going on now. You say, what do you mean? I'll tell you what I mean. If you're going to pursue this course of questioning, gentlemen, if you're going to go down that rabbit hole, you're going to like what I have to say, he's telling them. You are not going to appreciate what comes out of my mouth next. Notice what he says. We see the force of the information. He moves along here in verse 9. He says, if, if we this day be examined of the good deed, verse 9, to the impotent man, by what means he's made whole, all right, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. See, Peter now holds nothing back. He gives it to him with both barrels. Oh, he's not nasty. I don't believe he's nasty. I don't believe he's disrespectful. But there is no doubt he's being straightforward. And can I say, can I show you what he's saying here? He goes off and he tells them, I'll tell you by whose, uh, what name and by what authority, by what power. I can tell you if that's where we're going. Let me be very bold with you. Let me be very frank, he says. Uh, you know what? It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about Jesus Christ, he says. It's his power. It's his supernatural ability. It's not about what I have to say necessarily or do. It's all about what Jesus has to say and what he's all about. And then he goes on and he says, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. Jesus Christ is the foundation. Jesus Christ is what it's all about. And you've made none of him. You've said he's nothing. He's a nobody. But what you don't understand is he's become the head of the corner. There he sets the very corner. And everything else will be, be defined by and laid out by him. You remove him and you have nothing. It all crumbles. It goes up crooked and it's slanted and it will no longer hold. It'll be useless. And he says, neither is there salvation in any other. Oh, you have your means by which you believe you can be right with God, but I promise you, you've missed the boat on this one. It's all through Jesus Christ. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's not your altar anymore. It's not behind the veil. That veil's been ripped. It's been shredded. And now, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. We saw the critics, the concern, the confinement, the courage. 
Note the charge in verse 18. After they come, come together, they, they remove them from their presence for a short moment, and they begin to discuss the circumstance and the situation now. What are we going to do with these guys? How do we shut them up? How do we get rid of these guys? They are such a thorn in our flesh. But unfortunately for them, there were so many that had seen the miracle and there were so many that had been influenced by it that ultimately they charged them in verse 18 and say, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. That's what they charged them to do, not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine? These disciples had traveled for three years with the Lord Jesus Christ. They had, they had slept, they'd ate, they'd worked, they had ministered together. Jesus Christ warns them, hey, I'm telling you, fellas, it won't be long, and I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. But, but don't worry, I'll rise again. They kept, they didn't even hear that. They were so distraught, they were so upset. We see John chapter 14 as a result. Jesus Christ rises from the dead, and he meets with his disciples, and they are so excited, and they're so fired up about the future about a potential kingdom that would ultimately uh, uh, be brought, into, brought to pass and a, a kingdom in which Jesus himself would, would reside on the throne of David and rule and reign while they would work with him directly? It wasn't quite like they had envisioned. They didn't really see the church age. All they saw was the potential for the kingdom to replace the Roman authorities. <laughs> But then he says, by the way, fellas, I'm going back. And when I go back, you do nothing till him who I promised comes. Till the comforter comes. Till the Holy Spirit descends. And on Pentecost, he came. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake in tongues, which was evidence of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We don't need that anymore. One, and first, first and foremost, uh, we're not Jews, and so therefore, we don't need a sign. And we have God's completed word, by the way, too, and that which was done in part is done away with now. We've got the word of God. It's complete. It's perfect. It's a more sure word of prophecy. I don't need a sign. I've got the truth. <clears throat> And here they are excited, fired up about the future. Man, we are going to light the world on fire. We're going to put hell out with some squirt guns. <clears throat> and they go out preaching Jesus. And before you know it, they're being hauled off before the council. And the very command they were given by Jesus before he departed 
is the very command that they say, sorry, no preaching in his name. Why well, I don't care what anybody told you, we're telling you to be quiet. Do not use that name Jesus around here. That's an offense. That bothers people. It makes them uncomfortable. They don't appreciate those things. I don't know about you, but I think it'd be a lot harder for the disciples to shut their mouth than even me. They had heard literally, I mean, they heard the voice of Jesus tell them to preach it. Now, we have the word of God tells us to do it. It's just as authoritative. But I think sometimes we disconnect with him. He seems so far away to us. And that's why it's so important that we find time to spend with him. Otherwise, it won't be that important to us either. But here they are now, being charged, being commanded. Do not speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But note the comeback. But Peter and John answered and said unto them. I like the Peter and John answer. Can I tell you that nobody will be able to answer for you when it comes time to either shut your mouth or open it? You'll make that decision. You'll have to either stand or sit yourself. You'll answer for yourself. And when you stand before Jesus Christ at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, nobody will answer for you. You'll have to answer. <clears throat> well, I just did what so-and-so said. That won't hold water. Notice he goes on to say here, he says, and they called them, excuse me, verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. (laughs) These are supposed to be religious men. You guys tell us. So when they had, so he goes, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What do you want us to do, be a liar? What are you going to do? Go around not telling the truth? Don't you guys stand for truth? That's all we're doing is telling the truth. We're just sharing what we've seen and heard. And so we see the compromise here. Verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them Because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shewed. So what do we see from these men that provides us with a pretty good gauge by which to evaluate our Christianity then? First, they spoke. They spoke. See verse 1, back in our passage again, chapter 4, and as they spake unto the people, they're speaking to the people. What are they speaking about? We know that they were preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. 
They were preaching about the resurrection. They were talking about how through Jesus the resurrection would take place even. They were proclaiming truth. They were speaking. Verse 8, we find them speaking again. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them. Again, Peter now speaking. He's filled with the Spirit of God. He begins to share from his heart, and he begins to tell them what's going on. He even points out that they're the ones that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. We see him speaking again in verse 19. And he says, And Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. They spoke. What were they speaking? Where were they, where were they, what were they sharing? They were sharing Christ. They were sharing the truth. They were sharing the word of God. So what do we see from these men that provides us with a pretty good gauge by which to evaluate our own Christianity? <clears throat> Question, <clears throat> what do you speak about? Or do you even speak about it? Do I speak about it? Oh, I'm a good Christian. When's the last time you talked to somebody about him? When's the last time you shared the message of a resurrected Savior? When's the last time you mentioned that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? When's the last time you spoke? I'm a good Christian. Good Christian, speak up. That's a hard pill to swallow from top to bottom. Number two, they stood. They stood. We see it through the passage. There's nowhere where they compromised what they believed. I mean, there's nowhere that says that they were disrespectful necessarily, that they were, you know, mean or nasty. They didn't call people names. They didn't try to get on the bad side of these fellas. That wasn't the issue at all. We don't see any of that. But what we do see is a strong stand for truth, a strong stand for right. They were unwilling to lie or to soft sell the truth, lie about or soft sell the truth. I mean, can you imagine telling these religious leaders? I mean, I I can't even imagine looking them in the eye and telling them, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And he goes on to point out to them again that this is the stone which is set at naught. He's the chief cornerstone. And he's the only way of salvation. And that's something. Can you imagine that? That's called standing. Not compromising. <clears throat> well, we, 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 we believe in Jesus, I mean, he, he, he was a good man. We believe he was a really good example to us. I mean, we, we really do. We're, we're convinced that he's, he's got to be, a, you know, one of the ways to heaven at least. 
We don't want to offend anybody. That's about how we function in life, it seems, today in Christianity. Always afraid to really say what we feel and what we know to be truth from the Word of God. We don't have to be barbaric in our presentation, but we certainly need to be bold in it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. See, it's the truth in which we stand. Someone says, well, I'm a good Christian. Are you standing for truth in your workplace? Because if you're not standing, you're not in the truth. I mean, they're, tr- they're standing in the gospel. The gospel's the truth. It's the word of God. That's wherein they stood, the truth, the gospel. We deny the gospel, we're not standing. We deny the truth, we're not standing. We don't take a stand on the principles and the precepts of the word of God. We are not standing. But I'm a good Christian preacher. I just don't stand. You get where I'm going. We're talking about how, how do we measure our real faith? Our, how do we measure our Christianity? So many times it's, it's based on how we feel. Well, I feel like I'm a good Christian. I mean, I go to church all the time. I read my Bible. I'm a good Christian. But we're not speaking about him. We're not standing for him and his word. We continue to compromise our beliefs if we're not careful, and then we still say, yeah, but you got to understand, everybody struggles with that. They didn't. See, the standard isn't your friend, and it's not your mother or father. It's not even the pastor. The standard is Jesus Christ. The standard is the message that he presents to us and the examples that he gives to us in Scripture. There they are. You say, well, where do you fall on that? I promise you I got, I got room to grow. There's plenty of headspace here. I'm not talking about I'm stupid. I'm talking about headspace. When we talk about microphones, we talk about a system that provides you with headspace, a system where if it's, at, it's not at its max every time you use it, it can be set down lower so you can always raise it a little higher without it going called feedback so you want headspace I promise you I got plenty of that when it comes to this area got room to grow I need to speak more I need to stand stronger 1 Corinthians 15 58 says therefore my beloved brethren be you steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the lord you know what i find about my faith and my christianity when i really think about it i'm never satisfied with it it's when i don't think about it i'm fine you know out of sight out of mind so when i run into a christian that just thinks everything's fine i got to ask myself who are they hanging around? Because it can't be Jesus. You don't see any need for improvement in your Christian life? Who are you hanging around? Because it ain't Jesus, because he's perfect. Yeah. 
Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I'm not, a, I'm not one of these fatalists, you know. I, I don't go around feeling like everything's, you know, terrible. Life is messed up. and There's no reason to even get up in the morning. I mean, everything's a mess. I don't do that. That's, that's not me. All, that's not how I am. Now, I got to admit, there's times I can get like that to some degree, though, where everything just seems like it's a mess. Can I tell you, inevitably... 100% of the time, not 90%, not 95%, not 98%, or 99%, but 100% of the time, you know what the answer is for me? I got to get with him. See, people that get close to the Lord are not negative people. They're very positive people. See, if you're negative, it isn't because Jesus makes you negative. Jesus was pretty positive. He was ready to die on a cross. He was prepared to go. He was going to go, and he still was positive. See, you know, negative people are not the closest to Jesus. So I don't want to give the idea that everybody's a loser. But also don't want to paint a picture where we get content with ourselves and we are okay with settling. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That, that, that phrase, they took knowledge of them. Knowledge means to look fully or completely. To look fully or completely. In other words, the council was examining them completely, was being very thorough in their examination. Can I tell you that as a Christian, you too will be forced to face the critics? You're going to have to face them sooner or later. If you take any stand at all, you will face the critics. At work, they're going to try to cross you up a little bit. They may try to, to put you in situations where you're going to have to choose between right and wrong. Your fellow employees, or, uh, they may, they're going to watch you with a microscope and they're going to look for little mistakes. You're going to have to face the critics. You're going to have to speak and you're going to have to stand. At school, they're going to be watching your every move. How do you study? How do they speak? How do they stand? where they stand on issues, and what do they believe about this and that? What kind of attitude and outlook do they possess? You're going to be scrutinized by your peers. You're going to be examined thoroughly, just like Peter and John from time to time. Friends will be observing you. Again, how you respond to situations, how you respond to others, what your attitude towards your parents are, what your attitude toward authority is. They're scrutinized. They're watching all the time. You're going to have to Face the critics. You do that by speaking and standing on the Word of God. At home, even family is going to be on the outlook for inconsistencies and indiscretions. Can I, can I, let, let me try to encourage or help some of you, you young people, okay, especially, because th this is a big problem. It's amazing how many young people 
can find problems and, and things wrong with their parents and believe that they could do it better. You'll get your chance. Until then, be a good Christian. Stop trying to run the show. Stop trying to uh, see yourself as better than your parents. Submit to their authority like God tells you to, and then one day you'll get your shot, and then we'll see. You don't have to prove it now because you have nothing, no way to prove it. Just be a submissive teenager like you're supposed to be. Yield to their authority, and one day you'll get your shot. And then you do it the right way if you think your parents have done it wrong. But you know, the funny thing is about a teenager who thinks their parents did it wrong, but the teenager's doing it right, is that they don't go around ever telling anybody that their parents did it wrong. They have grace toward their parents. And they understand that people are human and they make mistakes. And even when they're 25, they're not going around, my parents were terrible. I had to deal with this. You should see, if it wasn't for me being faithful to God, I would have felt like the rest of the world. You weren't everything you thought you were all along anyway then. Thank you, preacher. And all you parents ought to be thanking me too, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just true. I'm telling you. We live in an upside-down world. Everybody's got opinions, and everybody's opinion matters. Let me tell you something. That ain't how God intended it. There's times when your opinion doesn't matter. We are spoiled brats in America. There was a day when we did it God's way. When mom and dad said something, you just did it. You didn't complain. You just obeyed. There was a time in America when you didn't do what your boss said. You just got fired. You didn't have some organization standing up for you, protecting your rights. You either did it right or you didn't do it at all. And I know everybody thinks I'm a nutcase and everything else. I get it, but I don't know. We're going crazy direction in America because if you think this is where it ends I promise you the train don't stop there <clears throat> so how are, you, how are you and I going to hold up to the scrutiny of unbelievers as we close listen how we speak and whether we stand in the face of the, of the critics reveals volumes as to where we are as believers and if we're going to face the critics and stand for God then we're going to have to spend some time with God spend some time with the Lord Jesus Christ when our, our critics take knowledge of us, may it be said, they've been with Jesus. Years ago, as I close, I was in the National Guard, and um, I had, well, I was going to uh, Bible college, actually, at that time. And I was in the National Guard, and I was working at a church, um, doing some things, um, you know, music and youth and all that stuff. And uh, I remember one of the fellows there in the, the guard with me was a, became somewhat of a friend of mine. And I say somewhat because I really didn't do anything outside of the guard, but we were good friends while we were at the guard, good acquaintances, if you will. 
I would consider him a friend still in that regard. If he ever needed anything, I'd help him, that's for sure. But I remember that uh, <clears throat> we'd go, every once in a while, we'd go out to lunch or something. We'd get a break. To, we could go out to lunch or something during our maneuvers on the weekends. And we weren't out in the field. We just happened to be back at the place where the guards met and knowing all that stuff on Stowe Road at the time. And uh, I remember we, we ran out to my car, and we jumped in my car, and we st- I turned it on, and all of a sudden, there was a tape. In those days, we had tape decks. You had a tape deck, and you had this little, it had two little wheels in it, and it'd spin like that, and, you know, it, some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> tape deck. Cassettes. Some of these guys don't even know what those are. But, but anyway, he, he, we went and jumped in the car, And Joe pushed that in, and the music started playing. I said, oh. I said, uh, I, I just sat there and thought, wow. Hmm. And Joe popped it back out. I mean, I mean, he didn't put it in there more than about 10 seconds. Popped it right back out. And he said, I just wanted to see if you were for real. all he said to me. I just wanted to see if you were for real. And I said, and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, I got all these buddies. I got certain friends, not a bunch, but I got about two or three of them. They claim to be Christians, but you know what? When I push their music in like that, it sounds just like mine. They say it's Christian music, but it sounds just like mine. I wanted to see if you were for real. Let me tell you something. There's going to be critics in your life. The question is, will you speak and will you stand? If you speak and you don't stand, you got a problem. And sadly enough, you'll take people the wrong direction with you. So as we close this series... Three characteristics or qualities that we noted in the lives of these men that impressed this council. That we too can view as a means by which to measure our Christianity. One, they shared the truth, the gospel, with great boldness. They surprised the onlookers with a supernatural work. And they stood in the face of their critics no matter the cost. How's your Christianity today? Using these criteria... How does your Christianity measure up tonight? Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we had in the word of God.